You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. <laughs> I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol, Big Easy Marks. Yes, I call myself Big Easy now. I don't know why, but I am Big Easy. And Speedy, I don't know what I want to call him today, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, our show When Saturdays come around and the Islanders are playing at 7 p.m., our show airs at the end of the game and after the pressers. So we are now live after the Islanders game. Speedy Petey, what's going on, man? Shout out to my father. It was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to him. (laughs) Happy birthday, Mr. Kloiber. 56 years old he is, but 56 years young to me. Well, and I'm 39 old. To me. Okay. okay. Well, again, that's our own analysis to judge accordingly. I, I'll tell you this. I, for a guy that's 39 years old, people wouldn't probably think I was 39 years old. If you ever met me, you'd probably say I look 26, 27 years old. I do take care of myself. I don't drink. I don't do anything. I don't smoke cigarettes. So I'm in good shape, and I take good care of myself because I like to go to the gym. I think when I first met you, I thought you were 28 or something like that. Yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. When I'm out and about people, that's what people think I am. That's mm-hmm. my age. But nevertheless, I'm 39 years old, and I'm getting older. My legs and my arms and my body is getting rickety. As everybody knows, I had hip surgery and neck surgery recently. So I'm just trying to get out and about and being safe and less be sorry. That's for sure, because I don't want to get myself into an accident or hurt myself again. We have a great show lined up for you guys today. We will get into the Odell Beckham saga. There's an always a saga with Odell Beckham, ODB, which he calls himself. He gets let go by the Browns on Friday. We will argue and discuss on where we believe he's going to go in the next couple of days. We have a special guest. We will be talking to SB Nation Nets daily writer and reporter Chris Milholland. He will be joining us a little bit later in the show. He knows a lot about the Nets in the NBA. That will be interesting. We are also going to get into the Braves winning the World Series since 1995. And thank God the Houston Astros did not win the World Series. I did not want to see the whistling cheaters win the World Series. Atlanta deserves it. I wanted to see Freeman win a World Series. I think he's been a very good MLB Samaritan. Really one of the faces of baseball at his position since he's coming to the league in 2007. So I'm very happy for him and the young Atlanta Braves, who are going to be very good for many, many years to come. So if a Houston Astro whistles in the woods, would you be able to hear it if a tree falls? I don't know. If it's Acuna, he'd be very low to the ground, so I probably wouldn't. (laughs) We will get into the NBA. The Knicks were playing well, but uh, slowly taking a step back. But the Nets have slowly put the gas pedal to the ground and is playing good basketball without Kyrie Irving. What is going on with Kyrie? Is he coming back now that we have a new mayor and maybe this mandate might change in January? Who knows? But we did hear from Steve Nash. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. We will get into the Islanders that are starting to play really good hockey. Brock Nelson had more than a hat trick the other day. He had four goals. Sorokin looks like he's going to be a superstar 
And then obviously the Rangers playing great hockey as well. It's just Dorkin who's playing great hockey. He's been one of the best goaltenders in the league since the beginning of the season. So yes, beef. You can argue that Sestorkin is somewhere close to Sorokin, but it's not there yet. So we will get into that. You still can't argue about trading Panarin, though. No, definitely not. If you can get Barzell for Panarin, you make that trade. Again, Tyler Harrison doesn't believe so. So who does Tyler know? We will get into our showdown of picks, the three-for-all picks of the week. Am I in the lead? You're still up by two. Nobody got anything last week because even though I got the Saints right, I had him on the under. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting week of football. And, of course, we will finish up with crunch time and debate wars. That's right. So why don't we get into uh, some football A lot of things going on in football this week. The New York Jets on Thursday get harassed. Mike White gets hurt. He was on a tailspin. Everybody thought he was the next big thing since sliced bread. Maybe the next Lynn Sanity. I called it White Sanity. But Mike White gets hurt in the first quarter. Took the ball all the way down. Touchdown, obviously, to Elijah Moore. He had two touchdowns. He has three touchdowns in two games. He's playing good football right now, as we expected him to be. Maybe he's starting to figure things out. Mike White hurts his forearm. Gets pulled for the game. Johnson comes in. Throws over 300 yards. Three touchdowns. And everybody probably thinks that Johnson's Yay, garbage time. Yes. But I'm not taking shots at Mike White. Mike White is a good quarterback. I do believe that there'll be a lot of teams interested in him in the offseason because he will be unrestricted. The Jets could obviously get a pick for him. But all in all, if their team's interested in him, he's going to go elsewhere because they're not going to be able to pay him. Zach Wilson is getting all that he can handle right now sitting on the bench with a 26-year-old journeyman that's been in the league for four years. So nothing new about that. But the Jets lose 45-30 to against Carlson Wentz and the Bagalot Indianapolis Colts. And I say Bagalot because... Sometimes I wonder if they're bagging the ball and they're just running. But last week they decided to throw. They lost against Tennessee. So Frank Reich decided to say, you know what? We're going to run the ball against the Jets. And, and they did a good job. The Jets front seven did not play well. And you saw what happened. They put a 45 on the New York Jets defense, which has been one of the best defenses in the league. Not surprised. That was a big game for the Colts. They needed that game if they planned to make the playoffs. Right. It's going to be very, very interesting moving forward for both the New York Jets on my friend thinks they're jinx. The injuries that they have. So does Mark. <laughs> I don't understand that. I don't think they're jinxed. I don't think they're hexed. If the Browns could overcome it, I'm sure any other team in professional sports This is what happens. You're, you're playing a full contact sport. I don't know why anybody expects that because a team isn't 100% healthy, they're jinxed. There are a lot of teams dealing with it. The Cowboys played without their starting quarterback and still won last week. The Lions so, still haven't won a game yet. <laughs> the Lions haven't won a game yet and they're fully healthy. What does that tell you? I don't think the Jets are jinxed. I just think that right now the Jets, it's not working on the Jets' side. And hopefully as the young quarterback comes back, Makai Beckham comes back and this offensive line starts to get full, I think that this team will be a lot better than they have showed the last couple of weeks. And even last week when Mike White threw 400 yards and 37 for 45, that defense in certain aspects of the game did not play well. Mm-hmm. So At least the youth is playing well, though, for the yes. Jets. Elijah Moore had two touchdowns, a beautiful route on that first one. Elijah Vera Tucker's played phenomenally the last five weeks. So that end of it is good, at least. The defense has had their woes against the run this year, but they've done well against the pass. It was a little more of a rough game in against the Colts with Carson Wentz in terms of the deep balls, but Carson Wentz wasn't super consistent, though. It wasn't like he was stringing it together like you see an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady picking apart the defense. They had some big plays here and there, but it wasn't 
egregiously. We're going to move down the field methodically either. So the Jets certainly had their moments too, but we'll see now losing Marcus May for a while, maybe for the season. Uh, this season, I think he tore his Achilles, mm-hmm. and that's another thing that he was saying. That's why they're jinxed. I don't think they're jinxed. I do believe that the Jets are just not a winning team, and they're not a winning organization, and they're rebuilding. They're the youngest team in football by a long shot. It's not even close. I think Miami is like a year older than they are, and that's a significant number when you're trying to compare and contrast these players. What do they have? Two or three veterans on the team? Getting rid of Frank Gore must have helped that total out. I mean, CJ Mosley's a veteran. (laughs) If you want to call Quinn Williams, he's only been in the league for three years. These are kids. Rankins is obviously a veteran, but he's 26 years old. They're a very young team and a little wet behind the ears. They have a young coach. They have a young offensive coordinator, even a young GM. So this is not a veteran team. And until they figure out things and they figure out what their strengths and their weaknesses are, they're going to continue playing like this. So all the Jet fans that are jumping off the boat right now because Mike White is hurt, and they were talking about trading Marcus May. Losing Marcus May for the season, does it really matter? Seriously. Does it really make a difference? It doesn't. The Jets aren't going to the playoffs and not winning the Super Bowl, so it doesn't matter. So I understand Jet fans are upstairs, upset, and maybe upstairs. I said upstairs, so maybe they're climbing up the stairs and wondering if they can get all the way on top of the bridge so they can jump. But I don't think when you look at the Jets and the position that they're in, you thought that they were going to be any better than they are right now. As far as Odell Beckham is concerned, obviously he was dropped on Friday by the Browns. I wasn't surprised. We knew he was going to be released. Now people are probably going to bid for him because he's still a very healthy guy. I think he's ready to play. I think there's numerous amount of teams that could use a player that prolific that could open up the offense and the book of the offense. I've been saying the Green Bay Packers, a lot of people have been posting him in a Green Bay Packers jersey. I think he fits very, very well there. Now, I know, Speedy, you said he's from Louisiana. Why not the Saints? I don't think the Saints are a playoff team. Even if they get Odell Beckham, I don't think that makes them a better team because they have Taysom Hill throwing him the ball. So I don't think that's a good fit for him. Tampa could be if he clears waivers or even Kansas City if they could somehow clear waivers. They can get him too. I don't know. But I know Green Bay has money. I know Green Bay can absolutely give him a contract of 5 or $4 million or whatever they decide they want to give him for the rest mm-hmm. of the year. I think he fits there. I think that you give Aaron Rodgers that other weapon that he's been craving for and complaining about. And maybe this makes him happy. And maybe if they can re-sign Odell Beckham in the offseason, he stays there in Green Bay with Odell Beckham and Devontae Adams. Now, so, I said the Saints as a possibility because of the Louisiana connection, but they're going to have to make money work because the Saints right now only have $1.09 million in salary cap right now. So they're going to have to shed some other money to make that kind of thing work. So if they're going to do it, it's probably he's going to want four to five million. Yeah, it's probably going to have to be for a rental if the Saints are going to do it. Which I don't know if that necessarily would make sense for them because the Saints need it also long term too. So they're going to have to make a lot of money work. Another team I could see definitely doing it is the Ravens. A they lot of different money. reasons. Mm-hmm. One, they have money. I think their salary cap is ranked twelfth in the league right now. They have a team culture that I think can help stabilize Odell's quote unquote antics. And three, if Odell is really that mad at the Browns and Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski, gets to play against them twice a year sticking it to them, going off on them. If he plays well to keep him out of the playoffs, why not? That makes a lot of sense. And, and maybe Pittsburgh, if they want a, a veteran. They're another team that wide receiver. a lot of salary. Well, but also, Schuster will be gone next year. I don't think they're bringing him back. Oh, sure, can, yeah. So maybe they bring him into the season, the rest of the season. But Pittsburgh is not a playoff team. Buffalo is another team that if he clears waivers, that would be a good fit for him, playing with Josh Allen. I just don't know if Buffalo is going to bring in a veteran wide receiver that causes a lot of trouble in the locker room. Right. They're a good team 
team right now, why would they bring in a guy that is a cancer in the locker room? It doesn't make sense. So I think Green Bay would be a great fit because Aaron Rodgers is a leader, and I think he can control Odell Beckham and shut him up, and they could feed him the ball. And he needs a guy that could go out there and get the ball, and he's a deep threat. And that's something, even though Devontae Adams has been a great positional deep threat wide receiver for this team, I think they need another one on the other side. And I think it'll open up the field for Devontae Adams, maybe even make Devontae Adams even better. And that's crazy to say because he's a top three wide receiver when healthy. So I look at Green Bay. I think he's the perfect fit for the Green Bay Packers. Is he going to go to Green Bay? If he does, I can tell you I was right because I've been saying that Mm -hmm. since I heard that, that Green Bay would be the perfect fit for him. And I think it'll make Aaron a lot happier with obviously they didn't do in the offseason to help him out. Yeah. As far as everything else that's going in the NFL, obviously the trade deadline passed. The Jets made a move and they got themselves a good offensive lineman, a guy that hasn't been on the field for 18 months, so he needs to figure things out. But he's a good guard. I wouldn't say he's an elite guard, but no. he, he's a, a serviceable. The, he's a middle of the pack type of guard yeah. where the Jets can use him next year if they decide to move from Van Rotten, which I think that's what they're going <laughs> yeah, to that's do. Inevitable. I think that makes a lot of sense. Maybe they draft a center and maybe another tackle in the draft with all the draft stock that they have mm-hmm. this year. I definitely believe they'll solidify that offensive line to protect Zach Wilson or Mike White. Yeah, you were mentioning they... last week the kid Lindenbaum from Iowa yep. as, as being a, a high draft target with the Seattle pick. Yep. And also with the Jets, Neil right mm-hmm. there for Alabama. I mean, he's the best offensive tackle in his draft. That kid's nice. You put him <laughs> on the other side with Makai Beckham, or you put Makai Beckham on the right side, and you put him on the left. You could do a lot with those two guys. They're two bohemians and two young guys that you could build your roster and your team around. Something that the Dallas Cowboys did for the last, I would say, 10 years to protect Man, Tony Makai Beckham is, is 340-something pounds, and Evan Neal is 331, I believe it is, 6'5", 331. I mean, you have two really big men who are very, very young, who are positional players that could be there for a very long time. And then you add Elijah Vera Tucker. Maybe you go after the Iowa center. And then all you got to worry about really is maybe one guard position. And that's it. And you really solidify that yeah, offensive if Tar- line. If Tardif is at least solid as your fifth offensive lineman, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really positioned in a very good way for the future for this team. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason for the Jets. As far as the trade deadline, Von Miller goes to the Rams. The Rams trade away more draft picks. Not surprised. So they won't have draft picks for the next three years. They're all in in terms of trading draft picks. They have to kind of commit to it at this point. And you, know what, you know what's funny? When we had Doug Kide from the NFL on the show, I really wanted to ask him if this is the case and this happens, if they lose and they don't win a championship this year, does McVay get fired? You gave up your whole future to win this year because it's in L.A. And if you don't win, you're not going to be able to bring Von Miller back. He's too expensive. He's going to want, I wouldn't say a big contract, but he's going to want about $35, $40 million. He's still one of the best pass rushers yeah. in the league right. when healthy. He's going to get money. There's no way they're going to be able to afford him. They just gave Ramsey and Darnold a really big contract. Matthew Stafford, Cup. Cup's going to want a contract. Well, he got one Oh, already. he got one already. Um, Matthew Stafford, I think, has one more year left on his contract, and mm-hmm. he's going to be available. they got to re-sign him. They're so deep into these salaries where they're not going to be able to bring Von Miller back unless he takes a big huge pay cut which right. I don't believe he will mm-hmm. so Von Miller goes for uh, a second and a third round the second round picks this year the third round is next year yeah they put themselves in a position where they have to win this year and and, and their favorite obviously one of the favorites of probably four NFC teams and then there's four AFC teams that really stand out Kite says there's only really two of them the Chargers and the Buffalo Bills. I would add the Ravens in that mix if the Chargers get in 
they're scary good. And with a rookie coach, I don't know if I trust a rookie coach, but right. with Justin Herbert playing the way he is and the way that defense is playing, they can stay in every single game. It's just the traveling is going to hurt them. So they got to make sure that they win that division. If they win that division, they're positioned very, very well to play more home games than away games and maybe only have to go to the AFC title game away, which helps them. You got to hope, too, that your fan base will actually show up and actually support you in a playoff game because we've seen the Chargers and the Rams both have issues with road teams coming into L.A. and dominating that crowd. They have to show up. They didn't show up against the Patriots, and they laid up a lousy goose egg, and they were a better team. They know they're a better team than the Patriots, as well as one of their wide receivers speaking up after the game saying that we're much better than this team. I can't believe we lost against this team. You heard the crazy attacks from the Chargers locker room after the Patriot game. But play better. Justin Herbert's got to play better. He, the last two weeks has not played at the top of his game. We know what he can do. We know he's a dangerous quarterback. Oh, yeah. And I believe, honestly, I think he's a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. I, I, he is, yeah. I, I think he so. is. Yes, Patrick Mahomes is a good quarterback. But he has a lot of praise because of all the weapons that he had. And over the last couple of years with the offensive line, they broke it up. They thought that this offensive line was going to be better. They overpaid for so many different players. They made a trade for Brown, who was at one point a pro ball type of tackle. He hasn't played well. That offensive line, Thune hasn't played well this year. This offensive line hasn't played well all season long. And then obviously drafting the center that they did, they thought he was going to be a good player. I know it's early, so right. we don't know what he's going to be. Mm-hmm. But it takes a little while for this offensive line to figure things out. Brown's also not a natural left tackle, too. He had to transition just this year to a whole new scheme, too. And a different type of offense, too. The Ravens are run-heavy with Greg Roman, the RPO stuff. The Chiefs, they do RPOs, yes, but they're not as run-heavy of an offense as the Ravens are. There wasn't any big trades. I think the Von Miller was the big one that stood out. Zach Ertz going to Arizona was a big sign of what Arizona wants to do this year. They did lose J.J. Watt for the season. He will be out with the shoulder surgery that he's going to have. So that definitely hurts them. Kyler Murray isn't 100%. They lost their first game last week against Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, he's going to be sitting out because he wasn't vaccinated. The turmoil and how mad he is right now with the NFL opening their mouths and telling everybody that he wasn't vaccinated. He is not very happy with the NFL or the Green Bay Packers on how that slipped out. But... I'm not surprised it slipped out because the Green Bay Packers don't like them. And the NFL just likes turmoil. It's turmoil, and that's what it causes. As far as the Giants are concerned, it is a very big week for the Giants. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing Russell Wilson might have an opportunity to go to the Giants next year. Him and Ciara want to go to a big city. Doug Kye talked about it the other day. I know Tyler was smiling and so happy. Good for him. It's not happening. First of all, do the Giants have the money to do that? Which money, I think they're okay, but pricey with the draft picks is what I'm more concerned about with them because they need a lot. I wouldn't do it. Uh, I wouldn't do it either because I think it'll be too much draft compensation. This I mean, he'll make the team a lot better. It'll make Saquon Barkley a better running back. I <laughs> if mean, he's even there. He will definitely be there. If Russell Wilson is traded to the Giants expect Saquon Barkley to be here. You know that it's a weapon that he will use, and obviously you need a top-end running back in that kind of offense, especially with Russell Wilson, the way he likes to run the ball. The question is, is it going to happen? And I don't think it will. I don't think it makes sense for the Giants. I think Daniel Jones makes sense for the Giants. they got to give him the players that will work around him. Kelly Galladay is not the guy. That was a big mistake. Yeah, And it's going to catch up to them, and it probably is going to get Gettleman fired. I've been hearing stories that the Giants are already looking for his replacement. They have an interview They can't do that until the season ends. But I'm not surprised that you're hearing stories that the Giants are going to be. And that could be a real big problem for Joe Judge. Because if they bring in a GM, the GM's going to want to bring in his own coach. That's what usually happens. So Joe Judge, two years here where all the Giant fans were so excited for him last year, even though he was 6-10, he could be on his way out. 
and back with the Patriots like every other coach. Yeah, right. And this is going to be a crazy offseason for the Jets and the Giants. But the Jets, I believe, are set with their GM and their obviously their coaches. I don't think the Giants are. Nope. And uh, I think the Giants are headed for a huge turmoil. And if they bring in a new GM and a new coach, I don't think Russell Wilson will be the guy either because it doesn't make sense. Why would a young coach or a new coach say, you know what, let's bring in a veteran quarterback who's very talkative in the locker room and has enough to say as our leader of our team? It doesn't make sense. Also Seattle, too. I think their GM, even though they've been weird lately, their GM has been respected across the league and has been good for a while until probably only the recently the last two years, I would say. So I don't know if they're going to have the same level of respect for a new GM that's coming in for the Giants, if that's the case. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our free-for-all picks like we always do, and we are going to get into some baseball. Yes, the Atlanta Braves win the World Series. What does that mean for the New York Mets? And what does that mean for the New York Yankees? Could be a lot, and I'm going to tell you why when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy, free-for-all Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Did you hear that kid Davidson from SNL is dating Kim Kardashian? Did oh, you hear God. about that? No, I didn't. I, I mean, it, I'm glad I didn't. What is <laughs> up with like, the, the Kardashians with these tattoo guys now? All of a sudden, Travis Barker is engaged to Courtney. Oh, really? And now, yes. Wow. And now you have Kim dating that kid Davidson, the comedian from SNL, who's full of tattoos as well. So I guess they're moving from one thing to another. <laughs> I, I guess. I have no idea. I feel I mean, like Travis Barker has a tattoo like every part of his body. I have tattoos. So I'm not saying I'm they're not, covered. anything against they're covered with tattoos. All I'm right. just saying it would be surprised me if Travis Barker very has one on his foot for all I know. <laughs> it is definitely very interesting. But anyways, Speedy, are you ready for the free-for-all picks of the week? Absolutely. All Here right. we go. Here we go. Let's start with Sunday Night Football. A little bit of lust loss because of the Derrick Henry injury, but the Tennessee Titans and the L.A. Rams, the over-under is 53.5. I'll take the Rams to win this game, and I'm actually still going to take them on the over. Even though Derrick Henry is out, I still think the Titans will still score a good amount of points. Where I think it'll keep it over the passing game. Jalen Ramsey will shut down one guy, but I think if it's A.J. Brown taken out, it'll be Julio Jones in that sense. And even some of the other receivers that replaced those guys when they were hurt have played well at certain points, and they'll be throwing the ball more. So I'll take the Rams. I'll take them on the over. I take the Rams, too. I think the Rams will win this game. This is going to be a fun game to watch. I want to see Adrian Peterson play. And if Adrian Peterson is somewhat the old Adrian Peterson, could give you 50, 60 yards and give you a touchdown here and there, I think they got themselves something. But without a running back, without a running game, I don't think this team is going to win anything. I do not believe they're going to the Super Bowl now. But give me the Rams on the over. I think they will win this game. I think it'll be a high-flying, high-scoring game. All right. Cleveland Browns at the Cincinnati Bengals. The over-under is 47. I'm going to go with the Browns on the road here. I think the Odell drama that's going on with them, I think that's going to fire up a lot of these other players. Definitely going to fire Baker Mayfield in this game. We saw the Bengals secondary have a lot of trouble against the Jets last week, and I think the Browns will be able to expose certain things with that. Their young receivers have still played well, even when Odell's been hurt, so I don't think that'll make too much of a difference. They get Nick Chubb back fully healthy this week. He was playing kind of hurt last week, and I think that'll make a difference. So give me Cleveland. Close game on the over. I want to go with the Bengals. I want to go against you this week, but... 
I did pick Cleveland as well on the Sports Loudmouths. So I'm going to take Cleveland in this game. I, I think it's a big game for them. The Odell Beckham thing. Now, I don't know if this is going to help them. That Odell Beckham caused a lot of trouble in the locker room. But I do believe Chubb coming back is going to help them and solidify their running game. Another power to their offensive game. And I think the defense will keep Joe Burrows in check. So give me the Cleveland Browns. What did you have them? The over? The I had them on the over. Cincinnati is going to score a lot, too. Give me on the over, too. I can't believe I'm going to copy you. <laughs> All right, Cleveland one more, on over. One more. Arizona Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers. 45 and a half is the total here. I'm going to take the Cardinals. This will be my first under, though. I think the Cardinals will win. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I think it'll be like a semi-big blow. They're dealing with a lot of injury issues with their offense. DeAndre Hopkins was on a snap count kind of last week. He went in on his own for some reason. Kyler Murray's not 100%, but I think the defense will do enough. The Niners' offense has been kind of one-dimensional this year, and the areas that I think that Kyle Shanahan should expose in this defense. They haven't been doing a lot of this year with their running game and with George Kittle, who's still hurt right now, and even their other tight ends have taken over. So I'll take the Cardinals on the under. I got the 49ers in this game. They're at home. They lost the first game against Arizona in Arizona. They need this game. San Francisco needs this game. I don't know if Jimmy's playing. I don't know who's playing this game, but I don't care. I I think they'll be able to run the ball. Obviously, Arizona losing J.J. Watt does hurt their defense, but they have Javen Collins and all the other beasts that they have. So who knows what's going to happen. But give me San Francisco. I I think San Francisco will win this game. Give me a win from San Francisco on the over. They have the Hall of Favors, Avon Collins. Don't discredit that. Oh, well, that's what <laughs> Jeff thinks. I I mean, ridiculous. He's already thinking that he's a Hall of Famer. He has had a good season. He has had a very good season. I don't I've know if hard. he's defensive rookie of the year, but he's no, had a good season. No, that'll probably be Micah Parsons. But Zaven yeah. Collins has played well, especially in coverage, too, which that wasn't his main role at Tulsa, but did have some good traits with he that. He is a beast of a man, that's for sure. Anyways, why not get into the Braves first? Because they win... The World Series. And I know a lot of Met fans are not happy about this. I'm sure they have their own thoughts to the Atlanta Braves. Obviously, they've been their arch nemesis. We all know what has happened in Shea Stadium over the years. And all the different players, the Andrew Joneses of the world. And Tom Glass. The other Jones was the big nemesis and, of the Mets. <laughs> yes, the Chipper Joneses and all of them. Larry. You know, Greg Maddox. <laughs> the Met fans are not happy that the Braves won. But... Anybody else in professional baseball that are rooting for other teams in baseball are very happy that the Houston Astros, the whistling champions, are not World Series champions. And I think as a Yankee fan, the Yankees are very happy that the Boston Red Sox and the Astros did not win. But I still think it's a big offseason for both teams. And I'm going to tell you why in just one second. But congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. Great defense, great offense. The moves that the GM made added all the outfielders with Acuna's injury. Solaire actually won the MVP. He was a big part of the team. I don't know if they re-sign him, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of teams lining up for Solaire, especially the way he played in the second half of the season and the way he hit the ball in the playoffs. He was a big part of their offense and a big part of what they accomplished winning the World Series. But Freed played great in the final game. Pitched a four-hitter. Gave up no runs. The Astros couldn't do anything to get freed. What they did earlier in the World Series against him, they didn't do in the final game of the World Series. So I was ecstatic for the young pitcher. I was ecstatic for somebody like Freeman, who I really, really like. I really respect. I think he's a sensational player. He's been a great player since 2007, since he came into the league for the Braves. He is a free agent this year. Now, the Braves could re-sign him. They might possibly do that. He does want to be a Brave, but I'm sure 
there will be teams lining up for him because he's still fairly young. Durable, plays a lot of games, great defensive player, a gold glove defensive player, and power hitter. And he hits for average as well. So he is the all-American player that you want on your team as a first baseman. So even though the Braves will have their first licks on him, if a team overpays him, he's going there. And I say that because there is a team looking for a first baseman in the American League, and that is the New York Yankees. Now, they were talking about not spending too much on that position. They haven't spent that kind of money on a first baseman since Mark Deschera. But I think if you're going to spend that kind of money on a player this offseason, you really could solidify your infield bringing in a guy like Freeman. Even with the deficiencies at your shortstop right now, but you have Volpe coming up. I think he will win the job. You move Glaber Torres. You bring in a veteran catcher. They like the guy that actually signed with Detroit the other day. Barnhart, yeah. Yeah, that's the guy they really wanted. Very good defensive catcher. That's why they wanted him. Obviously, is showing you that they're probably not bringing back Gary Sanchez. Probably arbitrate him and then trade him. I think that where the Yankees are at, I don't know what they're going to do in the offseason, but they got to do something because they cannot sit back and think that this team is going to be able to compete with the Boston Red Sox for what they did this year and the Houston Astros for what they did this year. So there's a lot of decisions that the Yankees have to make. They made their decision with their manager. I don't think it was a bad decision because I don't think there was anybody available this offseason. But just because they gave him a three-year extension does not mean they're not going to fire him after next year. And I believe the Yankees and any team, anybody that knows – Professional sports. No coach gets a one-year contract. No coach. They usually get a three- to four-year contract extension. And if they decide they don't want to use him next year, after next year, they fire him. He gets two years. He could sit out, hang out with his family. But if he signs with another team and he takes another job, that contract is null and void. So if he has a good season as a manager and they win the World Series, well, then they have him clear for two years and they're paying him an affordable contract for a manager that won a World Series. Because you know when you win a World Series, you make more money. Of course. So I think that the way the Yankees are positioned, and I told this to Tyler, and he almost jumped off a plank. I don't think this was a bad move by the Yankees. There was nobody available. Bringing in a Buck Showalter, who already works for the Yankees, and who is an older type of manager, it doesn't make sense. You're going to bring in a young guy, bring in a new guy that's going to transform this team and change this team completely, and then you're going to have to make significant moves because they got to fit in his offense and fit in his defense. So I think the Yankees aren't ready to do that, and I think that is why you saw Aaron Boone come back. So, Speedy, you see what's going on. Obviously, the Mets, what the Mets need to do this offseason is significant. With the Braves winning the World Series, they're going to have to make some moves because a team winning in your division, a team that you can't stand, a team that is your arch nemesis, you need to do something. Yeah, two out of the last three years. I saw the Nationals do it, and now I saw the Braves. So definitely a wake-up call. I'll start with the Braves, though. I'll give them their credit. Uh, Max Freed, an absolutely inspiring performance game six. I had his ankle rolled by Michael Brantley, the second batter of the game. Got out of that jam and just pitched brilliantly after that. His off-speed stuff was on. His strikeout stuff was on. Just an absolutely brilliant performance. Solaire with a three-run homer, a moonshot that went out of the stadium. Anthopolis, like you mentioned, gotta give him credit for getting those outfielders to platoon when Acuna went down. Duvall as well. All four of them had big roles at certain points. It was Jack Peterson mainly in the NLDS, and then it was Rosario in the NLCS, and then it was Soler in the World Series, the one World Series MVP, and Duvall was pretty good throughout the entirety of it as well, so give them a lot of credit. Freddie Freeman gets his first championship. I think he's the best first baseman in baseball. And I, he probably and I, is. And I do think he will end up going back to the Braves. 
waves. It depends. It all depends on money, and I think there'll be teams lining up for that. Even if it's a little bit less, I do think the Braves will give him that because they're not cash-strapped right now. They don't have a lot of bad contracts to worry about right now, so I think they will end up Better open up their pockets. They will because they have a lot of young talent on this team. In terms of the outfielders, I think maybe they'll only bring back maybe two out of the three of them because Duvall has one more year, so he'll stay, and then they'll probably pick between those three beyond that. But I think Rosario's gone, and I think is going to be gone because both of them are going to want big yeah. contracts. The, the interesting thing with Solaire, though, is if they do bring the DH to the National League, that's going to serve a purpose for him, but they also could serve that role with Duvall. Is the CBA so going to be changed it, this it's year? this upcoming month is the decision, but Duvall could serve that kind of role, too, so we'll see. In terms of the Yankees and the Mets, the Yankees, I think I've always lobbied for them to get depth when it comes to their pitching because I think they had a good, talented bullpen for a while that I think now we've seen teams kind of change bullpen strategy. Now, it's not the Royals bullpen or the Brewers bullpen or the Padres bullpen of the past, even the Yankees bullpen of the past, too. It's not that traditional type anymore. Versatile relievers are the wave of the game now. We saw the Braves even do that, too, where they had different guys go for two innings in different parts of the game, too, especially when Morton went down. So I think the Yankees are going to go for a lot of different veteran-type pitchers, both lefties and righties, and guys that could be versatile in many different roles. I don't think they need to swing after one guy like they did with Garrett Cole two years ago, especially with the injuries they've endured the last couple of years. I think they need guys that could be reliable just weathering the storm throughout the season, too. The Yankees were very streak-reliant last year. They had their great hot streak 15 games in a row, but then they kind of died out for a while. Then they were hot at the beginning of September, then died out. Then they barely held on and made the playoffs. So they have to be a little more consistent when it comes to that if they want to take that next step, especially with the Blue Jays rising. The Rays are still going to be very good. We'll see on the Red Sox. They're always a fluky team, but the division's obviously the best in baseball, so they're going to have to make some moves. I think it starts with the pitching, and I definitely would invest into a veteran catcher as well. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to SB Nation Nets Daily writer, reporter, Chris Milholland, and we will get into the NBA, the Knicks a little bit, and a lot of the Nets when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. What? We are back. Wicked, wicked. (laughs) We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Spiritual man, Petey. Yes, changing the name every time we come back from break. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You'll love our shows, shows throughout the week, live shows, not podcasts, live shows on our app. And you can actually hear the replays if you missed it. We're on Spotify. We're on every single aspect of the world. And we broke 800 downloads on Apple Podcasts. We're almost up at a million. So on the cusp of greatness, happy for our network and happy for the guys and all our shows. And you can listen to the Sports Loud Mouths every Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. with me, Speedy Petey, and Tyler Mothball Harrison. We have our guest. We are now talking to SB Nation Nets Daily writer and reporter Chris Milholland. What's going on, Mr. Chris? What's up, guys? How you doing? We are good, man. Obviously, with the Nets. The Nets are starting to play pretty good basketball. I knew Kevin Durant needed to get his feet under him, playing over there for the United States in the Olympics this coming year. James Harden, who hasn't played well in the last week and a half, is starting to figure things out as well. So before we get into the Nets, how are you doing? And tell the fans a little bit about you. How'd you become a writer for SB Nation and for the Nets? 
First off, thank you guys for having me on. It's always a, it's always fun chopping up some hoops. Just coming straight back from the Nets Hawks game, how I got became a writer. A lot of people are like, "Oh, hey man, you're 23 years old. How the heck are you in the position you are today?" Simple thing is, you just gotta work hard. You really gotta find that niche, and you really just gotta experiment with your content. So I did podcasting, I did radio, I did writing. Really found out that I've always had a touch for writing and especially a personality trait as well, talking with players, asking questions. So that's how I was really able to kind of snap my way into this field. And just overall, you know, I've been with Nets Daily since September of 2018. I covered the G League for two years. And then this is my second year of covering the Brooklyn Nets as it is right now. So now you're getting paid by the Brooklyn Nets to do what you absolutely love to do. That's a great feeling. That was a fun time. Absolutely. Get to go to games, get to interview the players, get to look high on up at Kevin Durant at a 6'10 frame and is long. He's got a 7-3 wingspan. It's crazy. It's like deformed or something. Why don't we get into the Nets? I know it's still very, very early. James Harden hasn't played well. Kevin Durant obviously is trying to get his feet under him. What are your thoughts to the depth of this team, and mm. where do you see this team going as the season progresses? Number one, the biggest thing with this team is that they're still trying to form chemistry and continuity. Those are the big two words that you'll hear Nash and the rest of the Nets players really expressing throughout these first six games of the season, seven games of the season. The big three only played eight games together, only a handful of playoff games together. Together. And then when you got guys back in the lineup like a healthy Lamarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, Paul Millsap, those type of veteran role players that could really provide not just veteran leadership or production in the court, which you alluded to, which is the depth. They're one of those teams that are really just trying to find their legs. And obviously being an older set team in their mid-30s with a lot of their key players, it's going to take them a couple games to really get their legs under them. So that's one of the big things Steve Nash has also been hitting at. Mostly, hey, you got to give us some time. So anyone that's really watched NBA basketball cover for a while, everyone knows that veterans usually take around 15 to 20 games to really get into game shape and get into that playing mentality. So right now they're forming chemistry. Tonight was a great step. You heard all the players from Kevin Durant, even Steve Nash even alluded to it, that they're finding that continuity on both ends of the floor, knowing where the guys are and that they're improving, but it's a process that they can't always just complete. It's going to be a process that's going to really drag on for the remainder of the season, even into the playoffs. One of the most notable things to begin this NBA season has been this new foul rule where you can't draw the fouls as easily. You get the free throws on follow-throughs for three-point shots and the Nets being a very shooting oriented team. James Harden, we know how much he draws fouls constantly and oftentimes can get away with it too. Kevin Durant, the same kind of thing. So do Mm -hmm. you think that's something that's affected a lot of these shooting type teams as a result and how long do you think that could last into the season? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I feel like right now with the new foul changing rule, especially with the three-point shot, referees and players are both kind of finding their footing with it. It's not a perfect type of rule change that's this is what's a foul now and this is what's not. Both sides are still experimenting with the thing. We saw Harden talk about it tonight, even though he had only one free throw. He said, hey, that's not been his focus with this so far. He's kind of just focused on kind of seeing how the game flow goes. And he just wants constant communication with the referees. Today, he alluded to right after the game that I've seen games on TVs where fouls are called differently in other games, but in our games that, hey, why is this being called this way? That's kind of been one of the major points. And you've seen guys, especially like Trey Unker today, when on the right wing in the third quarter, he got called, drew a three-point foul. And you see the Nets bench and really all the players on the sideline being like, what the heck was that? There's not really that common ground yet. So it's going to be interesting to see how long will it take the league and the players to really find the common ground with the rule changes. Chris, you brought up a good point about the veterans not really getting their feet wet till 15, mm-hmm. 20 games in. So now that Brooklyn is very thin at the position, LaMarcus Aldridge took a year off, obviously, because of the heart condition he had last year. 
Blake Griffin goes away for times during the stretch. Brown's paying a ton of minutes with Kyrie Irving obviously not being there. That's a big thing because obviously with LaMarcus Aldridge, it's surprising how consistent he's been considering the layoff that he had. He retired abruptly due to the heart condition he had. And now he's just been automatic from the mid-range. Obviously, that's been his signature shot throughout his whole entire career. With the bench pieces of Patty Mills and all these other guys, you know, like I said before, it comes down to that finding that continuity and really just knowing how to play together and knowing where the guys are in each spot. Because that's something that's always been a vocal point from training camp to now, especially the Nets putting a heavy emphasis on defense, gang rebounding as well. Obviously, we all know how the Nets are with rebounding. That's a structured team. Especially kind of pinpointing on LaMarcus a couple days ago, I even said on another podcast that he's been my biggest surprise so far this early season of the stretch of games, right? Because like with LaMarcus, he's been consistent on both ends of the floor, especially defense, because during those five games when he initially played with the Nets last year, you could tell that in the Nets switching defense, he was a little stagnant with switching his feet. Obviously, he's a slower defender and an age superstar. But, you know, overall, he's kind of really flipped that switch which obviously at the end of the day, he's not the LaMarcus Aldridge that we all know of in Portland or in the early years of San Antonio. He's a 36-year-old. To get that kind of production from his mid-range, even adding that three-point shot as well, and just find that continuity with James Harden, the pick and roll, and playing in drop coverage. You know, that's just going to be huge for this team. Obviously, with them being thin, they really can't trade. Do you mm-hmm. think that there's a free agent that they're talking about bringing in if something goes wrong or a mm-hmm. guy in the G League that they can call up? Because when Claxton comes back, it'll be a huge boost. No one really knows what's going on with Claxton. He's been out with a non-COVID illness for the past four games. And last game, Steve Nash even told us that he's expecting to miss the next seven days to 10 days. His absence is obviously something that's going to be pending throughout the beginning of this six-game road trip. But to answer your question of free agents and whether they're targeting anyone, obviously it's a little too soon for that because, you know, they're still trying to figure out the pieces that they have. The Nets are very aggressive in the buyout market right after the trade deadline. Obviously, we saw that with Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge. Obviously, the thing with Kyrie Irving, you just know that the main weakness on this team so far is too is like just the ball handling as well you know because you can see patty mills has really thrived off the ball and off the ball situation same thing with javon carter he brings a lot of defense but you can't really trust him to be that secondary ball handler in the group especially alongside patty mills so i'd imagine they look into a ball handling route more than anything but at the end of the day nets have been a poor rebounding team for at least three years i think that they're going to main steady with what they have but like i said before obviously the buyout market's a big sweepstakes and you know in the buyout market like all of us do know that watches the NBA, the rich get richer in that category. We are talking to SB Nation Nets daily writer and reporter, Chris Milholland. Now, Chris, obviously this is Steve Nash's second year as a head coach, has really no Mm -hmm. coaching background. You talk about Marks. This is a big year for Sean Marks because last year, I believe it was their best chance of winning a title, being how everything fell the way it should have fell for them Mm -hmm. to win a title, and they fell short against Milwaukee. They winded up winning a championship. When you look at this team and you look at the pressure that's on, obviously, Sean Marks, he gave away a slew of draft picks for James Harden. And then, Mm -hmm. obviously, with Steve Nash, with the pressure that he has as a first-time coach and with the players that he has been given without Kyrie Irving, do you think that if they don't go far into the playoffs or they get knocked out early in the playoffs, that Sean Marks could be losing his job or even Steve Nash might be looking for another position somewhere else? I don't think Sean Marks would lose his job in that situation. Mm -hmm. I feel like the Nets organization, where Sean Marks took over this Nets organization, Mm -hmm. right? When they were really just the worst team in the league. You know, there's really no hiding around it. He went from obviously 24 wins to 40 wins to 44 wins. And then obviously Atkinson got fired, Jack Vaughn took over, and then now Steve Nash is there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, there's no hiding from the truth. It's a huge year for Steve Nash because mm-hmm. obviously, especially with the loss of Mike D'Antonio, who really ran and had his fingerprints all over the offense last year. Mm-hmm. Anyone who watched Houston Rockets basketball in the 2019-20 season, 
can see that the Nets were running the same exact schemes and everything. Now that D'Antoni's gone, Nash has more of Jordan Ott, who is the summer league coach. He admitted that he's going to be kind of filling in as that offensive coordinator type role. But at the same time, Nash is the big type of coach now. You know, he doesn't really have that veteran coach to really lean on or really break down the offensive schemes. You sure he doesn't so want to lean just... on Amari Stoudemire? <laughs> don't get me wrong. They could definitely use Amari Stoudemire on the boards. But outside of that, and they could use Steve Nash's ball handling as well if you really want to go there. But at that same time, you know, it's a huge year for him overall. And the reason why the Nets brought in Steve Nash to begin with, it was to manage the personalities. That was the biggest thing before anything. Because obviously at that time, James Harden wasn't there. And it was just Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. But obviously, as we all see throughout the chaos that's going on with obviously the Kyrie Irving vaccination mandate and this whole team finding chemistry, big expectations, veteran guys, obviously a lot of personalities and superstars on this team as well. Nash has navigated that ship nearly perfect. And at the end of the day, I really just think that he's starting to really find his footing as a head coach in this league right now. Going to that Kyrie Irving thing. So I think because yeah. James Harden has been a big usage rate guy in his career where he's always either first or second to Russell Westbrook in terms of the times he's handled the ball. A lot of people think it's the reason he gets worn out throughout the season. Now with Kyrie Irving potentially gone for a long time, maybe the whole season if he doesn't get vaccinated, James Harden's going to have to get a lot of ball handling duties one do you think that's contributing to why he's struggling right now in terms of scoring points even though he's still getting assists and rebounds and two how big of an issue do you think this is for the nets in the playoffs and later in the season number one i'm a big believer that james Harden's early season struggles heavily do because he didn't practice really any basketball on the court during the whole offseason because the whole offseason he's recovering from the grade two hamstring strain he's rehabbing throughout the whole entire summer We've heard that from multiple people, from Harden himself to Nash himself to even Shaw Marks himself from the higher up in the front office. Harden, obviously, it's a different thing because now with the loss of Irving, he's demanded more to be of the Houston Harden, right? Because when he was initially brought in, he was viewed as a luxury. You know, be the main facilitator of the group, rack up assists, create your own shot if you need to in the isolation. And then at the end of the day, with having Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden on the same court together, that just draws so much gravity for guys such as Joe Harris, who has led the league in three-point percentage the past two years. And just other guys in the mid-range, like we alluded to with LaMarcus Aldridge. And even Blake Griffin, you see him attempting more threes now, even though he's struggling a lot. But, you know, with Harden, I don't really see it too much of a problem. I think the heavy belief that it's going around right now is that Kyrie Irving is going to return at some point in the year. I can't see him missing the whole entire year. So when it comes by playoffs, that's the big thing. But the big thing that the Nets have done to really adjust is they're adjusting without Kyrie Irving right now. That's the main reason they made the decision to leave him off the team, you know, not just play away games and practice at home. They wanted him away. They wanted him as a full-time participant or they didn't want him around the team at all. And that's the best decision you could do because they wanted to see what tools they have missing one of their cornerstone point guards. So I think right now to kind of put that emphasis on a postseason worry, obviously there's guys such as the Bucks that pose huge threats, I think. Personally, I think I would favor Milwaukee right now in the postseason. The way that roster's built up and filled up with continuity, it's hard to get past Milwaukee. It's easily going to be a seven-game series. But, you know, overall, I think the Nets have really done a great job of kind of weighing out their tools and seeing what they got without Kyrie Irving on this team as of now. The offseason was dominated, obviously, with Kyrie Irving's name. You said your feeling. So, yeah. obviously, you're around these players. You talk to them. What yeah. is the feeling that they're getting from Kyrie Irving? And you said you think he'll be back. So, do you have Correct. anyone telling you, Hey, we're talking to Kyrie. He might be back. He might not. Where is Kyrie so, Irving in yeah. the Nets relationship as a whole? So right now, the Nets and the Kyrie Irving relationship, it's a patience game. I think right now what they're doing is they're giving Kyrie Irving some time. And obviously, they're also looking at the, what the heck's going on, going to go on. There's this vaccine mandate with Eric Adams coming in as the mayor, right? There's heavy belief because there was a couple quotes a couple weeks ago that Eric Adams said he's extremely optimistic Kyrie Irving's going to play. Then he gets elected, and now he's the new mayor of the office. Obviously, there's a lot of loopholes with 
what he's saying about the mandate, because what a lot of people don't really realize is that he's really focusing the mandate or lifting the mandate when it comes to city employees. That doesn't really apply to Kyrie Irving as a whole. That's just my personal belief. I wasn't told that by anyone, but Kevin Durant's been very honest with us throughout this whole time. Kevin Durant's always been like, obviously we miss Kyrie. We'd love to have him part of the team, but at the end of the day, it's a personal decision. Any field, any job, any personal decision comes with any form of consequences. And the consequence is, since Kyrie Irving chose not to be vaccinated, he's not able to play in New York. So they're missing Kyrie Irving, but at the same time, they're not missing that. Obviously, they're missing his production. They would have to replace that production by committee. But at the end of the day, you also got to remember that this team, it's healthier that they're adjusting currently without him rather than having him only for away games and in practices at home because that just ruined kind of continuity and rotations. But, you know, just overall, I think it's a patience game. I think what the Nets are doing is they're waiting on Kyrie to give them a decision or what his plan is going to be for the foreseeable future. So whether that is, hey, are you going to get vaccinated? Are you going to come back? Are you waiting on the mandate? What's going on? So that's kind of what the, the heavy belief is right now, that they're kind of just waiting on that. We are talking to SB Nation Nets daily writer and reporter Chris Milholland. Now, Chris... I don't even think that the Nets this offseason was the talk of the town. It was really Mm -hmm. the Knicks. And because the Knicks have really stood out this offseason, I think it's really hidden what the Brooklyn Nets quietly have done. And you look at the Knicks, and the Knicks have started off very strong and now slowly have not played well in the last two games. They're 5-3. and They're tied with the Nets. And the East is going to be very close throughout the season. Do you think that this offseason has helped the Nets, being that they're not the talk of the town like they were last year, to help them slowly but surely move forward this year or do you think it's hurt them knowing that the Knicks have gotten better a more depthful team with their offense than anybody thought they were going to be this year you know what it comes down to I think they're both two different teams and two different ballparks the Knicks run New York there's mm-hmm. no question about it anyone that's from New York knows that New York is always going to be a Knicks town the Nets could win five championships it's still going to be a Knicks town you could run in the winning perspective saying okay you know what the Nets hey if they win five championships obviously they brought winning back to New York New York mm-hmm. hasn't had a sports title since 2009 you know so it's been a while <laughs> But the thing is, too, at the end of the day, is that what the Knicks are doing is they're similar to what the Nets are getting done in 2018, 2019 with D'Angelo Russell, right? They're fine. They're embodying a new culture. They're embodying kind of that dogfight mentality, being a scrappy team, kind of an underdog in the whole conference to begin with. And I guess what the correlation to the Nets point of it is, I think at the Nets, they're chasing championships. The Knicks are more chasing kind of building a contender, right? Making it an attractive destination. Because one overlapping factor that a lot of people don't really realize is A lot of these guys that are entering the league have never seen the Knicks be a good basketball team. With that being said, obviously, New York has a lot of glamour being an athlete, but a lot of people also know that playing in New York, it's a lot of heavy media pressure. There's a lot of stuff that also comes with playing in New York. So at the end of the day, it's going to be interesting to see how both teams turn out. But I think as of right now, it's always fun. And obviously, New York, I could speak for, I guess, the city of New York being obviously some guy that's been here my whole entire life. It's one of those things that we've never really had the Nets and Knicks be great at the the same exact time obviously the Knicks aren't great but they're finding a foundation and they're obviously winning here so it ramps up their crowd as well so is there a point with the Kyrie Irving not knowing when he's going to come back is there a point or a circumstance in the season where you think they either have to one maybe even trade him for a swap like another player for like Kyrie Irving for Ben Simmons type trade or Damian Lillard or somebody else that's on the trade block is there a point where they might have to do that or even just trade for a point guard with whatever draft stock and young players they have left what would be that point in the season and why I can't 
can't really give a point right now because the thing is they're continuing to experiment right now. They're adjusting to what the current pieces they have right now. And the big thing here too is the Nets are listening to calls for Kyrie Irving. They're not aggressively making calls themselves, but hey, like any team, they're going to do their due diligence. If you're calling for Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant will have his voice, James Harden will have his voice, and obviously owner and GM as well. But at the end of the day, the Nets have really embodied themselves on culture. And obviously Kyrie Irving, you could say what you want about obviously his off court, but on the court, he's a generational talent, 50-40-90 player. In addition, he's a Jersey kid that grew up a Nets fan. The Nets have never won a title before. So he's a player that a lot of players in this community and fan base are really attracted to as well. Looking ahead, I would say maybe that tipping point is that the mandate isn't lifted of some sort. There's no really clear other alternate path aside from Kyrie Irving saying, hey, the only way that you're going to be able to play is to get vaccinated here. I think that would be the only tipping point to this thing. But in the meantime, I think the Nets are, like I said before, they're going to take a patient approach. They're letting Kyrie Irving kind of sit with this decision for a little bit, see what's going to happen, see what his thoughts are, whether he's eventually either just going to get vaccinated, the mandate's going to lift. There's so many little moving parts to this. And like Steve Nash said, they're going to evaluate all the little details that go into this situation as it develops on through the next couple days, months, and really throughout the whole season. So it's been widely known now that the Nets are not giving him an extension. Is that because they're waiting to see how Kyrie treats this vaccine thing? Or do they not plan on bringing him back with Durant? Because Durant signed an extension himself. They're not going to let this hard walk out the door. That's yeah, why so, before yeah. I asked how their relationship is. Because this it doesn't make sense. Yeah, so how I can answer that one in a nutshell is mostly in regard to the extension, right? Is that Kyrie Irving, he had a deadline for his extension like James Harden. James Harden didn't sign the extension either. I think it was October 16th was the exact date. And now the only possible time that they could offer the extensions in the offseason, right? So that's kind of what they alluded to when they said that they're not going to offer the extension was mostly they weren't going to meet that deadline. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to completely rule off an extension here because obviously if he comes back, they'll have it and he produces like he always does. They're going to obviously say, you know what, maybe we're going to give this guy an extension because obviously as you guys know the nba is very a player empowerment league and build on a lot of relationships players come to join super teams with forces with common history and common experience Kevin Durant has made it clear that Kyrie Irving was a huge factor, if not one of the biggest factors, in joining the Nets. James Harden being there obviously helps out. James himself has even said, hey, I don't see myself leaving Brooklyn. I might not have signed the extension, but it's going to be very hard for me to leave this situation. With Kyrie, I think what they're doing right now, it's obviously the main reason they didn't offer the extension was because of this vaccination status. Why would you offer a player a full extension if you don't even know what his future is going to be in the biggest anticipated season franchise history? You know, They want to know what this future holds. So obviously that was the biggest reason why they didn't offer the extension because obviously it was for he's not going to play at the end of the day if he's not going to get vaccinated the only hope that this Nets team really has right now is that lifting the mandate from the new mayor and that would come as early as january so think about it obviously you offer him extension say this mandate goes on and on whatever the case is obviously at that point like we all know in any city obviously the mandate rules and regulations they get updated every single day week month so it's kind of the safest option because at the end of the day too it relates to the decision once the extension wasn't offered it was going to be a heavy belief but okay obviously the Nets made a practice facility private building that authorized Kyrie Irving the practice he was only eligible for away games why would you give a guy extension for that you know so they're just trying to find that common ground see what they're dealing with but i wouldn't really rule off an extension completely off the table at this point i don't believe they're going to lift the mandate no matter who the mayor is or not i agree with that i think Mm -hmm. it's going to stick around i know the mayor says well it might not the fact is is that Mm -hmm. new york first of all it's a democratic place it's a liberal place and so is california i don't think that's changing my question to you is everybody keeps talking about Kyrie Irving. i love Kyrie Irving. he's from this tri-state area i talk about him going to duke i'm a duke fan Mm -hmm. i just don't like what he has said ever since he's come into the league he said a lot of stupid things when he spoke on his instagram thing 
thing. I believe Kyrie Irving is the most important piece to this team winning a championship. I don't mm-hmm. think it's James Harden. I, as much as I, I love what Kevin Durant did in the playoffs, without Kyrie Irving, you can see that this team doesn't roll on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. If the Nets don't get Kyrie Irving back this year, do they have any chance of going to the NBA championship and winning a championship? That's the first question. And do you think James Harden was the right piece when they decided to make that trade, trade away Karis LeVert, who now is back playing with Indiana. He looked really good tonight. And all the pieces that they gave up, do you think he was the finishing touch of this championship run? Oh, 100%. I agree with that. Because, like, the thing is, is... With the James Harden trade, when a superstar pops up like that on the trade market, you have to attain it. You have to really kind of dive into it and be like, okay, if he's going to be available, you have to make that trade. Sean Marks saw kind of just not mortgaging the future when the whole trade was happening. With James, he was viewed as a luxury at first. Kyrie Irving was there, and he's just going to be the facilitator like we talked a little earlier. Right now... Would I say that they have enough to win it all? I say they do have enough to win it all. Do I think they're going to win it all? I don't think they're going to win it all. The Bucks, they're built on continuity. Plus the Lakers, they're not missing any players. Plus they're forming continuity as well. Tells on their side, that's a really big contender for that. So overall, like I said before, I think they're going to be aggressive looking in the buyout market. And then the other aspect is if Kyrie Irving comes back, then, hey, you know, obviously all this talk is just going to diminish. It's a very big script with this Nets team. And at the end of the day, you got to look at it this way. You know, with this many personalities, it's expected that something of this little drama goes on. In regards to the way the NBA is now with these super teams, these big threes, getting Blake Griffin and Lamarcus Aldridge, because it used to be thought of as just LeBron. LeBron gets his guys. He gets these guys in the mm-hmm. veteran minimum. Is this Durant's time to get it now? And will it last whether he's with the Nets or another team do you think it lasts yeah because you know with a star like Kevin Durant like I mentioned before stars want to play with stars and especially when you look at a market like Brooklyn a big market team in New York City that's where guys like Paul Millsap joined LaMarcus Aldridge joined Blake Griffin joined if you look at all those kind of trackers with each free agent it was always like all right the Lakers the Warriors, they're always contending teams, but Brooklyn always stood out as a favorite. And with Kevin Durant, he has a lot of leverage in this situation because when we talked to Blake about it, Blake said Kevin Durant texted me right away. Same thing with LaMarcus Aldridge, Kevin Durant texted me right away. So Kevin Durant's definitely got a lot of power to lure these guys to Brooklyn, especially considering what the city and Brooklyn in itself has to offer with all the luxuries around it. And obviously, as you guys know, too, with endorsements, players thrive off endorsement deals. And obviously, New York can't really get any bigger endorsements than that. And that's obviously a different factor of the whole thing. Kevin Durant's one of those players that he's viewed as, a, if not the best player in the world right now. Obviously, him, LeBron, and Giannis, he, and Luka, you can even throw in there. Obviously, it's an ongoing debate. Everyone's got their own opinions mm-hmm. on it. But you can't overlook what KD's leverage and obviously what how he's looked since the injury, his consistency. Tonight was his fifth straight game scoring 30 or more points. You look at the other guys that are built here, veteran stars, stars like stars. Any star that's really comes out on the bio market, whether it's a former star, current star, you don't know kind of who it is. Because obviously the bio market, it's one of those things you kind of see how it goes out or the waving or trading throughout on the deadline, what teams have interest in stuff. But another key factor in this as well is like you mentioned, the veteran minimum deals. Because this Nets team doesn't have a lot of money to spend on guys at all. That's why you saw guys like Landry Shamick get traded. Yeah. Bruce Brown didn't get a big deal. He had to take a qualifying offer to stay with this team and really win a ring if he really wanted to. That's why he stayed. You look at like other guys around, even that's why they locked up Kevin Durant and especially with Kevin Durant he signed a four-year extension he's not going anywhere mm. that's a big factor into the, all this as well when it comes to recruiting free agents I'm only going to do this because we mentioned the best players in the world and his name wasn't brought I gotcha obviously before Kevin Durant came here he was part of a dynasty in Golden State mm-hmm. and he's really taken on the leadership role of this team I think everyone 
that has an IQ above zero can figure that out. Does he ever credit directly Steph Curry, or is it kind of just something that people just go, oh, he learned from Steph how to draw people here? Because the Hampton boys are why Durant left OKC and left Russ to go mm-hmm. win a championship. It was Draymond Green, first of all. And Andre Iguodala, Clay and Steph. Yes, it, it those was, are the Hampton was, boys. It was Draymond Green. Those are facts. Anyways, and Draymond's also the reason he left. Actually, that's a lie if you listen to that interview. Mm-hmm. He knew his mind was made up already. So, does he ever directly thank Steph Curry for the leadership knowledge he's learned, or is it just kind of a mere formality in the media world that Steph Curry is to get all the success? It has to be a fan-driven thing. With Kevin Durant, he's not going to be the guy that says that, like any other player. With Kevin Durant, covering this team for two years, and obviously since he's joined this team, well, I've covered the team for five years, but at least like primarily with KD on this roster, you kind of get that feeling that Kevin Durant, he's all about just that love to hoop, right? I feel like that's just all he's been about this year, right? He's been one of those guys that's really like, I came back from a really serious injury. I'm producing well. And MVP he's right now. Guys. Right now, I'd say, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's and then on top of that, well, I'm just say, I mean, the season ended right now. Durant would be a <laughs> unanimous MVP. I don't know unanimous. unanimous. It would be pretty unanimous. Really? You think so? With MVPs and everything, obviously we see with a lot of wards, they don't really give all the grains of salt here to super teams on right. with players on super teams. I picked Luka Dantic to win the MVP because if he puts up sensational numbers yeah. and leads Dallas yeah. to the playoffs, that's his award to lose here. Mm-hmm. No matter how much Kevin Durant's averaging and whatever the case is. Because at the end of the day, if you looked at the coach of the year and other awards that went around, especially with MVP as well, all the voters taken into except like media and fan, obviously it's split up between 50-50 and voting and stuff. But a lot of media guys also think they heavily weigh in value of who's on the team with them. How many shots? And obviously with Kevin Durant, say he's playing with James Harden, Kyrie Irving comes back and he's still sensational. Hey, he should definitely win MVP. But at the end of the day, I feel like they would more so lean towards a guy like Dantich if he's putting up similar numbers and has less pieces around him. It's kind of a slippery slope. It's one of those type of things that you can't really have a foundation off of. That's why everyone says, hey, Shaq obviously get robbed of MVPs. Did Kobe get robbed of MVPs? LeBron get robbed of MVPs? <laughs> yeah, we you know LeBron all has. those type of arguments. Kobe's you know, got three. Yeah. Overall, and I'd pick an MVP vote today. It's going to be KD. Mm-hmm. But like I said before, getting back to the original question, you know, I think Kevin's at that point where he's just really happy to be back on the court again and hooping in a place that he really likes and especially with teammates around him. And that was a joke to make the guy with the hat angry. I said <laughs> if you listen to the show, I am not a big Steph Curry fan. When he came into the NBA from Davidson, mm-hmm. I was a big mm-hmm. Steph Curry fan. But what gotcha. he does on and off the court and how he dances and how he makes himself out to be bigger than life, I don't like that about him as a player. And by the way, why is, can do it. why is Kevin Durant going to compliment Steph Curry when he was the best player on the team? I wouldn't. Steph I mean, was the yeah. most important. No, he wasn't. Steph Curry is not a playoff player. Kevin Durant is a playoff player. LeBron James is a playoff player. Kyrie Irving is a playoff player. Steph Curry is not. He's a proven regular season player. He's a, a career playoff player. I think he averages 23 points. He's streaky. Yeah. He, he is not a playoff player. And who won the two MVPs when they won the championship when Kevin Durant was there? Kevin Durant. Who won the MVP when Kevin Durant wasn't there? Andre Iguodala. Did Steph Curry ever win an MVP as a playoff player? Never. That Only just shows you what people think of we've him. Ever seen Because you talk about his three-point shots. That's what yeah, he I is. I never mentioned his three-point shots. The greatest three-point shooter we've he's ever a genius. seen. No, oh, he's a great genius. Can't hit in the playoffs. That's why he left Steph Curry for Kyrie Irving. And how's that working? How's well, that working for him? Well, well, it's not working because Kyrie Irving right now is not playing. But I'll tell you this right now. If Kyrie, Irving, if Kyrie Irving plays this year and he comes back, a lot of people are going to pick the Nets to win the championship. Because you look at Russell Westbrook, Davis, 
and LeBron, obviously that's a great three team, but they're new. Kyrie Irving, Harden, and Durant have played together. Very few, but they've been practicing in the offseason. They were practically neck and neck even after the Olympics. They've been training together. I think they have a better chance of winning it because of that situation. But Never even mentioned the best Chris, team in the East. Chris, the Miami Heat are going to win the East. Really? I think so. That's a bold take. I like that, though. I like what Thank the Heat you. did this year. I think Lauer's the best pickup of the offseason. I'm a big believer on that. And I think Jimmy but Butler to- finishes second. I mean, he's having an MVP year, too. I think it's so early to even look at this. Yeah, it's early. It's, it's it hard. Is, it is, but still. That's my I usually, really I usually start John down names by the game 30. Yeah, that's what that's I say. What I 30, 35 games. He kind of nipping on the butt. But I think the Knicks are positioned very, very Look at Fournier. Fournier was a big pickup for the Knicks. You're a Knicks guy, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I got you. I got yeah, you. I'm a, I'm I a guy. I just wanted to confirm. That. I'm a Nick guy, but look at the depth the Knicks are this year. From what? They, oh, I love what New York's doing. Right now. But the Knicks don't have that number one player that you could say I'm going to put it in his hands to win because we know Julius mm-hmm. Randle can't do it in the playoffs. We've seen That's it. Not fair. He can't. He can't. He can't do it. It was one playoff series. What are you talking about? The other game, he couldn't hit two foul shots. Almost cost them a game against Bulls. I, I mean, the guy can't hit a shot. Growing into it. Growing into what? Can't a leader. Play in front he of the wasn't fans. a leader in LA, and he wasn't. He's a bull hog. Carmelo Anthony. Want to be? Give well, you know break. what the Knicks are doing. They're building a culture and just yes. waiting for that one star to come around. Yep. You know, that's what they need, and just build around like they did with KD. I want Damian Lillard. Chris, I would love to get you on the show again. You're of course, awesome. Brother. You have some good takes, and I'll tell you this right now: Kyrie Irving is the secret to the Nets winning a championship this year. If Kyrie Irving comes back and he gets at least 20 games under his feet to get his feet wet. I think the Nets are going to have a very, very good chance if he's healthy. Because he wasn't healthy in the playoffs last year. Either was Harden. And that really affected him. And by the way, they need If they to... were healthy, they would have won. Absolutely. Like, yeah, they would have won the whole thing. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean. it fell right for them. All they had to do mm-hmm. is build more. Mm-hmm. They would have flew right past Phoenix. I think they would have crushed Well, Phoenix. that's what it was. It was it was that winner of Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Whoever's going to win that's going to win the whole thing. Absolutely. Because at that point, the teams were balanced. And obviously with Phoenix, they were one of those teams that obviously they were young and built on continuity. But did they have enough to get past Milwaukee or Brooklyn? Especially mm-hmm. a healthy. Brooklyn. I don't think about that. Plus, I was going to mention that as well when you guys were going back with Kyrie Irving. If he gets 20 games under his belt and they really know how to play with him, obviously, he comes right back before the playoffs. It's going to be one part of adjustment getting that in, especially when all the roles are solidified already. Because think about it, everyone in the backcourt has to take one step back. And we saw what this team did with chemistry last year. We saw a lot of unselfish play. And that's probably what's going to happen when we see Kyrie Irving on the court for the first 15 games when he's back. But no, I agree with your points there. What I want to see from the Nets this year is continuity. Mm-hmm. And they need to find somebody at the trade deadline that can help them with rebounds. Because when the playoffs start, it becomes a half court game. There is no way they're going to beat the Miami Heat in a seven game mm-hmm. series. The yep. Milwaukee Bucks at 100%. Even the New York Knicks. Nerlens Noel, who's one of the best rebounders in the league. And then Robinson, if he can stay healthy. You smile. I didn't say it worse. No, you're I don't smiling. Know if I wouldn't give New York the lift there. Yeah. You no, know, but, I, I, if, the, if the Nets and Knicks were in a playoff series, I would give the Nets a Of course, because they got yeah, the yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. But if the Knicks get that superstar at the trade deadline, who knows what you're going to bet on with that. And the Knicks are that's a good rebounding team. That's the most, profile team. Yeah, that's, that's the, the most important is. thing. And I think the playoffs, it's so important to have that rebounder and I think the Nets need to find that guy because they don't have that guy in that lineup right now. 100% I agree with that it's going to be interesting to see what kind of turns out with New York right I think what they're going to do I think that they'll have a quiet deadline they'll probably have a couple little small moves touch around the edges right mm-hmm. and I think in the offseason they'll really I think the boys are going to go to work. I agree with you they have money and that's why Randall took less money. Exactly uh, a think, lot of cash but, space available. But the Nets are the favorites to come out of the East they're still the favorites as long mm-hmm. as Kyrie Irving comes back I worry about the Nets going later into the playoffs without that rebounding guy because they are not a good offensive rebounding team. It's a proven fact 
that they've had problems in that area. It's especially if James mm-hmm. Harden struggles shooting like he has in the playoffs in the past. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of elements to it. Well, I'd love to get you on as the season progresses. We'll talk more Nets basketball. And I want to bring in the Knicks guy and have you both on. We have an Islander and Ranger guy coming on. I'm we- getting into hockey a little bit. You know, I got to support my Devils. You know, I only know like one name, but I'll, it's $30 tickets. I'll probably. <laughs> oh, you didn't have right. access to watch the 10 games the Islanders are allowed access to the Barclays? You didn't, you didn't have privilege to sit through those dumpster fires? Dumpster the fires. Thing, the thing well. is, brother, Brooklyn's already a hard commute. I can't go to there to watch hockey. I don't blame I just you. can't do it. I, yeah. I wouldn't watch the Islanders if you paid me to. The infrastructure was so bad for hockey as it was. I also <laughs> heard that the Nets might be bringing the G League team over there to the new Islander Stadium. The Belmont yeah. thing? UBS. Yeah. UBS. I heard that they might be bringing their G League team over there. So that, that'll be interesting as well. That'll but. be interesting. Chris, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media? Yeah, sure thing. So you can find me at C Milholland SB. You can look up my work at Nets Daily, NetsDaily.com. I do social media for the Naismith Trophy as well. So that's the MVP of college basketball, similar to Wooden Award. Obviously, my name won't be on those, but those are like social media things I do out there. Overall, yeah, a lot of my work's on Twitter. So C Milholland SB. I go to all the Nets games, report on all the Nets games, well, Nets home games. Yeah, you'll see a lot of coverage from me throughout the whole year on the Nets. So, like I said, guys, thank you for having me on. Definitely down to come on again. You got my connections right there to get me back on. Yeah, bring that next guy on. I'm down to do a little duo episode. Absolutely. You follow us on Twitter and we'll follow you. Perfect. Sounds good, guys. Awesome. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. Of course, guys. Let me know if you guys need anything from me in the meantime. Take care. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. As everybody knows, that was Chris Milholland. He was awesome. Definitely a great interview. Gave us all the information we needed to know about Kyrie Irving, the Nets, a little bit of the Knicks because they didn't have a lot to say about the Knicks, but he's a Nets guy. But he was great. We'll definitely get him on the show again. If you guys like the interview, you can check out the interview and the replay of the interview if you missed anything. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into, yes, some hockey and a little bit of basketball. And we will get into the hot goaltending, not just with the New York Rangers, but the New York Islanders, the two Russians kicking butt and winning games and taking names as well. And the New York Knicks, which we didn't talk a lot about with Chris, but we'll get into the Knicks and their woes right now with their team and the way they're playing when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Easy, Big Errol, Big Whatever. That's who I am. Yes, I don't want to scare you guys. And on the board, Speedy, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Shout out to Chris Milholland. Great interview. Gave us so much information. Our feed of Kyrie Irving. And I say Kyrie because he might not be Kyrie anymore. He might have to change his name. For all the people that hate him. I don't. I, I have a lot of respect for what he had to say on Instagram. And pretty much said that he has said a lot of stupid things. And he's human. He makes mistakes. But anyways, let's get into the other New York team. The New York Knicks. And Tom Thibodeau says it best. This team is not playing full court basketball. Their defense has fallen apart the last two games. Uh, Against Indiana, they let Indiana shoot too many perimeter shots. Nothing challenged at the key. And you see the difference of this team when it doesn't play defense. And Evan Fournier, who was playing well in the beginning of the season, and then even Walker, who has played well as the season slowly has progressed, he's gotten better. Randall has not. Randall has taken steps back. R.J. Barrett has taken steps forward. Mm -hmm. I think R.J. Barrett will be their guy, their number one guy, 
before season's end. So much growth. Who would have thought that he would be an elite defender in this league? But he's learning how to be an elite defender. And we all know what Jimmy Butler was. He's a defensive player, and it turned into an offensive player. I think R.J. was an offensive player that turned into a defensive player. And why not Tom Thibodeau develop R.J. Barrett into another Jimmy Butler that could turn into a superstar for the New York Knicks? He's only 21, 22 years old. He's a baby, still growing. I think he's going to be a special player. I think he'll be their superstar player. But they need another guy. And I don't think Randall is their number one. And I don't think he's their number two. I think he's a number three. I think they need to look for that number one guy that's going to help them uh, in so many different ways, offensively and defensively, as team basketball starts to press. I think that this team is better than what they are. I disagree with some of the guests that we have had on the show stating that the Knicks are a fifth seed. I think they're still a top four seed. I still think they have enough depth. The teams that a lot of people think have the depth or have the team to win and beat teams like the Knicks, I do not think the Miami Heat are as good as people think they are. I don't think the Milwaukee Bucks are as good as they were last year. I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are going to be the fully dominant team without Kyrie Irving unless he comes back. Who thinks Philadelphia is going to be in first? The Knicks ran all over them a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they're 7-2. and two. I do like Joel Embiid, but Harris, he's all over the place sometimes. And this team, they have no depth. As the season progresses and they start playing good teams, they're going to start to lose, and I think they'll fall out of their position. Am I surprised you're in first place? No, but without Ben Simmons, you could say whatever you want about Ben Simmons. He's an elite defender, and he still gives you a double-double every single game. Don't expect the 76ers to be the number one seed as the season progresses. Yeah, I don't expect them to be the number one seed either, because I think this is also an emotional type thing. They're trying to rally around the fact that uh, we don't need you, Ben. We could still win without you. How long it'll last is still a big question mark because they lack depth, and that's why the Knicks, I think, still have the edge in that case over the Sixers, even though the Sixers have the star power. If R.J. Barrett can emerge as that other star power, then the Knicks will have it too. And in terms of Randall, yeah, he's got to stop forcing shots. Now, he doesn't waste possessions all the time. Seven assists in a he's lot a of He's a wannabe games. Carmelo Anthony. Sure. Efficiency-wise, that could still hurt them in terms of taking bad shots. From a volume perspective, he's not the number one type option. In terms of a well-rounded player you need to have on the court, he is still that. But they just need to make sure he's not the one touching the ball all the time. And that's where Kemba Walker will come in, Derek Rose will come in, Emmanuel quickly when he's on the top of his game will start having those kinds of roles even some of the rookies later in the season and rj barrett he's shooting a lot smarter too his corner three game has been really good this year he's not being reckless with his shots as much as we saw him last year and even his rookie season and defense he really has improved which is a great sign for him and a great sign for the knicks in terms of the player development aspect where they can take this top scorer in college and we can even make him not necessarily a great defender but make him a good defender in that system also with williamson he hasn't played that stops his development and john morant even though he is playing good basketball he's really at the same pace he was last year rj barrett is getting better as the games go by i'm not saying he's better than john Morant right now, and he's not better than Williamson right now. Could he be? If he becomes a shutdown defender and an all-world defender and he gives you 20-some-odd points a game, nine rebounds a game, yeah, he could be an elite player in this league. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Butler has, so why can't he? Right, so, the Nakamurant, too, is defense, and he doesn't have the Tom Thibodeau to help him out. So it's definitely possible in that sense. I think Morant, in terms of athleticism, in terms of an all-around offensive game, is still going to be better. But if Barrett's defense grows to the way it has this season and Morant never develops in his career, yeah, I could definitely see it that. He just needs to hit free throws. Or an NBA player, figure it out. He's had this problem really since he's coming to the league. I mean, he's shooting 73%. He should be shooting 80% at the free throw line. As far as the hockey teams, there was a trade. 
I didn't know what it entailed on why Jack Eichel wanted to be traded, but then I read a story that Jack Eichel, him and his family did not want to get him a fusion because a lot of athletes have had fusions, had had problems with their back and shorter careers, a.k.a. Peyton Manning and right. some other football players. He wanted a disc replacement. The Buffalo Sabres did not want him to go for a disc replacement because no professional athletes ever had a disc replacement and played professional sports. I've had a disc replacement I believe the disc replacement is so much better than the fusion, and I think he's going to have a longer-lasting career with the disc replacement. Why the Sabres didn't want to agree to it makes absolutely no sense. He's still one of the best centers in the league. Losing him and getting nothing for him, what did they get for him? Alex Tuck, who's a pretty good winger. Peyton Krebs, who's a prospect that's been okay. Again, it's the Sabres. We'll never know. Trump won't be on the team by the end of the season. Sabres have to hope that they keep their players. They've had that problem in the past. They get a first-round pick that is top-10 protected, so if Vegas somehow for whatever reason is in the top 10 for picking this year that first round pick will go into next year and then they'll get a second this year and then otherwise they would get a second next year got nothing for jack eichel you kind of knew that was the case for how long it's been going and also certain teams are going to be more lenient in terms of giving them the disc replacement that he wanted in his neck it's the best thing he could possibly do (laughs) i don't know why the sabers are so stingy as it was you've been a dysfunctional mess maybe the worst in all of sports you have one of the best and you have one of the best centers in the league (laughs) and he's still very young 24 years old and has his whole career in front of him and you decide you know what we're going to trade him for nothing because we didn't want him to have a disc replacement yeah. does that make sense no it doesn't for a team that's been a dysfunctional mess for this decade maybe the worst run team in all of sports right now I don't know about that there's a couple of them here in New York <laughs> I, the Sabres haven't made the playoffs since 07 when they beat the Rangers in the first round when Chris Drury scored that goal with 7 seconds left they bring in all these top guys all these good free agents I call them the Islanders retirement home for a while too when they're bringing all the old ex-Islanders and and they don't have the leeway to be that picky on how and when and where you get this next surgery. So why you're going to do that to a top player like Jack Eichel is beyond me. You don't have that kind of leeway. You're not a team that's a contender here, made some good growth. Even if they're not a great team, you don't have that kind of leeway. Buffalo's been a mess. It comes to me why the Rangers didn't make a move. Buffalo did not want to see him for a significant amount of time. They're moving him out west. They're only going to see him twice a year. I guess that helps them, but does it really? You probably would have gotten more for the Rangers. Rangers. I think it would have made more sense to trade with the Rangers, but it came out that Buffalo had no interest in trading with the New York Rangers. So Jack Eichel goes over there to Vegas, where he'll probably stay for the rest of his career and build a lot of greatness over there. Vegas this year is not as good as they were over the last couple of years, but I think they're a lot more talented. They're a little down defensively this year, but they still have great goaltending. They still have a lot of depth on offense, and now they just added to that with Jack Eichel, assuming he can stay healthy. A lot of money that they put on there. Yeah, uh, which Vegas, again, they've given a lot of big contracts to veterans already. Stone and Pacioretty and Marsha, so those guys are veteran guys, but the rest of their team is on really cheap salaries, so they're kind of a middle ground when it comes to their salary. You probably won't see Jack Eichel until February. Maybe March. They're doing it for a playoff run. Whether they win the division or not is another question. I think Edmonton's in the lead right now, and they're second. But I don't think that Vegas really cares about seeding as much because they still know that they're one of the most talented teams. Probably two-month recuperation and then get stronger. I know because I had the surgery. It took me a month, and I started slowly getting stronger over there. Uh, Professional athlete, even with personal trainers, I think they're going to be very cautious and very careful with him. Two months, and he'll be ready probably at the end of February, beginning of March, to get ready for that 
playoff run for the Vegas Knights if they're in the playoffs. Right, and again, they have the leniency because the Pacific Division is not like the Metropolitan Division or the Central Division where they have a lot of teams competing for that. Edmonton's played well this year. They're right now first. We've seen good improvements from teams like the Sharks and the Flames, but one, will that last all season? And two, there's a lot of rebuilding teams. You're not dealing with Colorado and St. Louis and Minnesota. You're not dealing with those types of teams. Definitely not the Metro with all those loaded teams at the top, including the Rangers who are second place, believe it or not. Speaking of the Rangers, historic kid, I don't know what happened with him, but he's been playing great hockey for the last two weeks. We were talking about Soroka being one of the players of the week about a week and a half ago. I'm surprised that Sestorkid hasn't gotten player of the week nominees for the way he's been playing for the last week, week and a half. He's been a sensational, a big part of why the Rangers are right now in second place in the Metropolitan Division. I know it's early. They play two more games than the Islanders and Pittsburgh or whatever, but they're playing great hockey. Gallant has this team playing on all cylinders. They're playing good team defense. Maybe Gallant was the guy, was the right guy for this team. Who knows? We won't know until the season progressively gets deeper where this team starts to plummet and where this team is going to be in the mix with this Metropolitan Division, which is very talented. Team. Hurricanes are undefeated. The Panthers are NHL undefeated. They only lost one in They're overtime. Both. They actually play today, which is ironic. But in terms of the Rangers, the only thing that's been down for them this year is they're still having trouble in close games, which they had a big trouble with that the last two years with a lot of these young players. But beyond that, they're playing very well. Well-rounded depth, getting young guys to contribute. We've seen the third line play well. Even some of the veterans they brought in, they've started to play well in that stretch. Zibanejad has been phenomenal. Panarin's been very good. And that defense, I wouldn't say it's great, but it's, it's definitely good where you could trust it a little more. And Shesterkin has been phenomenal. Outside of dropping the puck, making a bad play in overtime against the Canucks, which that was kind of a bonehead mistake, leaving the puck down and not covering up. Beyond that, he's been fantastic. It wouldn't surprise me if he wins some kind of Player of the Week award, too, because his stretch before that was very, very good, where he had a couple 40-save ones, then he had a couple 30-save ones where he just allowed one goal. Very impressive. Panarin's not Shesterkin. scoring, by the way. He's right. passing, though, so I'm fine with that. Yeah, he's not scoring. They put him on the line with Zabitajad. A lot of Ranger fans are going crazy about it. Why are you putting your two best players on the same line? Maybe because Zabinajab is a better center and he's a better winger. And that's what you usually do. That's why you trade the better center for the better winger. Not only that, you don't want to mess with what's working right now. Uh, I I think Zabinajab is a sensational player. He's going to make Panarin better. I think he was playing with the two youngsters. And we all know what the two youngsters are going to do. They're going to make mistakes. And they're going to put Panarin in the worst positions to fail. So I think Panarin is put on the Zabinajab line to play better. And actually start figuring out how to put the puck in the net, which I think he will. He's a 30-goal scorer on a bad year. He'll go on a 10-game, 10-goal streak where he's the hottest player in hockey. That's how good he is offensively, scoring-wise. But is that enough? Is that going to help you win? I don't know. And with the Rangers, is this defense going to be able to hold up throughout the season when they start playing the better teams and they play the Islanders? And I say the Islanders because the Islanders are slowly but surely becoming what they were last year. You're seeing why a lot of people pick them. And I'm not saying that because I'm an Islander fan. There's a lot of people picking the Islanders to win the NHL Stanley Cup this year. They have the most depth out of any team in hockey, all four lines, and they might be missing one player, one offensive talent that could really get them to that next level. Boychuk's contract was traded yesterday. Now they've actually secured almost $10 million. You know what Lou Lamorello is going to be doing at the trade deadline. He's going to be lurking and scheming on who he wants to bring in and who he wants to trade and sign in the offseason. So expect something big now that Boychuk was traded. They gave a conditional draft pick, right. which could be a second. That doesn't hurt Lou Lamorello because, nope. as you see, he gives away first and seconds like it's no tomorrow. And he still has a fairly, really young team, but also very good veterans. I expect Lou Lamorello at the trade deadline 
to make a move mm-hmm. and bring in a big name to go and play with Barzell and give them that solidified offensive player that Islander fans have been craving to put on beside Barzell, which right. hasn't worked right now with Paul Mary. Even with Anders Lee, I think you need another speed guy that can help him out and take the pressure off of him and make him the closer, the shooter, which will open up the ice for him to become more prolific offensive player. You know, it's ironic. You mentioned a lot of people picking the Islanders in the Stanley Cup this year. My pick, ironically, was the Islanders against the players they're most likely to trade for with Tarasenko. Yeah, that was actually I, my pick at the start of the year. Was Tar- the Tarasenko players. is a, definitely a guy that they're going to be looking at, and they have the money now. Trading Boychuk, it was very hard to move Boychuk's contract, but Lou Lamorello, he found a way to get rid of Andrew Ladd's contract. He found a way to get Letty's contract out of there. And now he's found a way to get Boychuk's contract out of there. And he gave all the veteran or all the young, talented players on this team the contracts, but worthy contracts where they're not schemed or closed up, where they can't make moves in the next two or three years to make them even more of a Stanley Cup contender. So they really position themselves. And Lou Lamorello is a genius. Say whatever you want. Back-to-back GM awards. I don't care what Jeff said, that the Montreal GM should have gotten it. That's horse. You know what? I'm not going to say. Lou Lamorello made, the past two years, he made two valuable, most important trades at the trade deadline, which helped the Islanders go all the way to the Eastern Conference Championship. And one goal away from going to the Stanley Cup and probably winning the Stanley Cup. Maybe Anders Lee as well. (laughs) What he did with Boychuk only opens up the door on what he wants to do at the trade deadline. And trust me, Lou Lamorello will make a trade at the trade deadline. Win or lose or borderline play playoff team. This team makes a trade. They bring in a Tarasenko. Trust me, people are going to say that they are the favorite. The other advantage that the Islanders might have over some other teams that might be in that kind of position to trade for an offensive player like that is the connections that he has in the Eastern Conference. We were talking about it with the Sabres. They didn't get as much because they traded him to the West, which makes sense to a degree. But the Islanders are not afraid to do that kind of thing where he has the Toronto connections if they want to do a Nylander or a Marner type trade. They have obviously the Devils connections, which they've already plummeted a lot of different guys from. So Lou Lamarone is not afraid to say, all right, I'm not afraid to have this kind of competition go elsewhere. And he's got and a lot of pieces. Dominate me. Whereas another team might be worried about those kinds of things in terms of direct competition. He's got a lot of pieces, too, right now. A lot of good young players right now in their farm system. They have the kid Salo. I don't think they're trading him because he looks really no, good. No, and I don't Angel. think they'll need to trade him. But they have Kiefer Bellows, who's available. They could trade him. They've got players, and they can move on with some players. Bailey, if they want to trade away that contract and not give up the, the money that they've taken off with Boychuk's contract. So they've really positioned themselves very, very well to make that move if they want to make that move at the trade deadline. The other underrated one that could be interesting if nothing happens with him specifically, because I know there's been issues with the team, is if they want to take on a big contract, it's kind of similar to Tarasenko's, it's Patrick Kane, so depending on what happens there, because Chicago's awful right now. They just got their first win of the season, I think, two days ago. So. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into Debate Wars and Crunch Time! Here on the Weekend crunch we are back ladies and gentlemen this is the weekend crunch i'm your host big easy big errol errol marks and speedy the delicious man Petey. i don't know how delicious he is with that beard remember you can listen to the show every single saturday from 7 p.m to 9 p.m new york Eastern time only on 103.9 the li news radio network Brought to you by New York Sports E-Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app. Go on iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, we're on the cusp of the ending of the show, but guess what we have? Speedy Beatty. Debate Wars. This is the Debate Hour. 
And now, in this corner, your host, Errol Marks. And in this corner, who gives a shit? Right, we'll start in the NBA this week. Who is a better player? Never gets old. Scotty Pippen or Dr. J? It's Dr. J. Scotty Pippen was one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Played for one of the greatest teams of all time. With Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest player of all time. Doc was the jam and the supreme guy when it came to jamming the ball. Played for the 76ers. Remember, he comes from Long Island. Roosevelt, great player. Played for the Nets. And then obviously went to the 76ers and became a superstar. It would be Dr. J. Also, Dr. J, one of the best ABA players of all time. In addition to the NBA, definitely going to take Dr. J as well. 16 All-Stars. Way better offensive numbers, I think, than Scottie Pippen. And now, great, that Michael Jordan stealing those points. Also, winning a finals against the Lakers, the Showtime Lakers in 83. Most Malone, the best player on that team. I would agree with you. I'm going to go with Dr. J as well. Who is a better third baseman? Chipper Jones or Adrian Beltre? Chipper Jones. Adrian Beltre, he has a long-lasting career. Chipper was more clutch. He was a big part of the growth of those Atlanta Braves in the 90s. He was the face of the Braves in the early 2000s, and he was the captain of the team. He named his son Shea. He completely romped yeah, I know. the New York Mets, and he loved to play here in New York, so give me Chipper. I'm going to go with Adrian Beltre on this one, also because of his defensive prowess, too. Has five gold gloves in his career. I think he had three platinum gloves. Still was doing it very well, even at the end of his career, especially at a third base, a tough position to play defensively. More home runs in his career. Chipper had more RBIs, but I think Beltre also bumping around different teams. I think that affected him as well. The Dodgers, they went to the Rangers, and also was very good in the playoffs. Those stretches for the Rangers, too, when they in the World Series. Adrian Beltre? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's a theory that will be determined more later, but I'm going to go with Adrian Beltre. We'll never know, because I, I bet think, he was on the list. I think the longevity was impressive, and I'd give him credit for that. NHL now. Who is a better coach? Ken Hitchcock or Mike Babcock? I'm going to go with Ken Hitchcock. With Dallas, Philadelphia Flyers for many, many years. I think he was the better coach. Babcock was a part of those Detroit Red Wings teams, but he also had Scotty Bowman over there helping him run that organization. So give me Kenny Hitchcock. I'm going to go with Hitchcock as well, because I also think he did well with Dallas. Even when they started losing a lot of the pieces from their Stanley Cup team, they still were a competitive team. They went to the Cup against the Devils, and they lost. And even Columbus, too, when they were not an expansion team, but they were kind of a growing team when Rick Nash was really the only talented player they had on that team. He still had a couple of winning seasons. Didn't make the playoffs with them, but a couple of winning seasons. Did well with the Blues, even though he didn't do well in the playoffs with the Blues. Getting the playoffs and high seeds with those teams. Babcock had better teams. Detroit was a loaded team. Even Toronto had a very talented roster. Toronto, they crumbled in the playoffs all the time. So I'm going to go with Ken as well. One football one, and then we'll go to crunch time. Who is a better wide receiver, Torrey Holt or Michael Irvin? I'm going to go with Torrey Holt. Now, Michael Irvin played on those great Dallas Cowboy teams with Dion, Showtime, Sanders, Emmett, Runya Down, Smith, Troy Aikman. Those teams were absolutely loaded with the offensive lines and the defensive players that they had. There was really no salary cap in those years, so obviously a great team. But Torrey Holt played on that unbelievable Rams team, too. But what Torrey Holt was, he was the guy. He was the man offensively on the outside. Now, they did have other players that were big parts of the offense, and they did have one of the best running backs in the league. But Torrey Holt, to me, was really the stick that really got stuck when they needed to play, and they needed to play hard. He was a big reason why they won that Super Bowl. So give me Torrey Holt. I'm going to go with Torrey Holt as well. Seven Pro Bowls in his career for a guy that also had Isaac Bruce stealing targets from him. Marshall Falk stealing targets, all the pass catching back, that Mike Marks offense. And even when Kurt Warner went to the Giants, when they had Mark Bulger and Trent Green for certain stretches of quarterback, he was still putting up good numbers too. And then the good longevity when he went to Jacksonville as well. I think you're right. In terms of being helped by the Dallas Cowboys at that time, they just had a more loaded team than the Rams. The Rams had a loaded offense. 
fans, but they weren't an overall loaded team like the Dynasty. Well, there was a salary cap. I think also Torrey Holt, even over Isaac Bruce, even though Bruce was a little better statistically, Torrey Holt was a better route runner and did a lot more things in that offense that I don't think Isaac Bruce would be the same player he was without Torrey Holt doing what he did. So I'm going with Torrey Holt. So that will round out Debate Wars for this week. And now we finish the show with some crunch time. It's time for crunch time. All right, we're going to start crunch time with some college football. The top four in the college football playoff committee are out. Surprisingly, Cincinnati was not one of them. It is Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oregon in the top four. Buy or sell. At the end of the season, two of those teams will not be there. I will buy that, and Alabama will be one of those teams because Georgia will knock them out. Now, obviously, their big linebacker who is going to be suspended for rape charges, so we don't know if he'll be back, but this is still one of the best defenses in all of the nation. I just don't think Alabama should be the second seed, but they have to play Georgia in the SEC championship, and I don't think they're going to win. That will give them two losses, so they'll be out. Michigan State will be out as well. I don't think they're going to win out either. I'm going to buy it, too. I I'm think it'll end up. As much as I like Oregon, I still think there could be a weird loss that they end up committing. The Pac-12 loves to knock each other out, and we saw it two years ago when Justin Herbert was at Oregon. They had a bad dud at the end of the season against Arizona State, against that Herm Edwards defense, and I feel like the Pac-12 just always knocks himself out, and I definitely agree with you on Alabama. So I think it'll end up being Cincinnati and maybe Michigan State sticking in there. Maybe they gift Oklahoma. One of those Big Ten champions team, I am going to buy it as well. Joey Gallo nominated for a gold glove this year, along with Hunter Renfro and Kyle Tucker. He will win the gold glove. I will buy that. He's one of the best defensive players at that position in the outfield. I'll buy that he wins the gold glove. I'll buy it too. I believe he had the, the best metrics in comparison to Renfro. He played a lot more right field than Renfro did. I think Tucker was the best in terms of the range statistics, but Gallo had a lot more outfield assists than him. So I agree with you. I will buy it as well. Jordan Love will throw for over 250 yards against the Chiefs. I buy it. I think that defense stinks. I think Jordan Love, if he's half decent, he'll be able to throw 250 yards. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it too. I don't know how many touchdowns he'll get because Aaron Jones will still get the bulk of the touches in the red zone. I expect Matt LaFleur to be also creative with potentially Wildcats and receiver reverses because Love can run too. I think you'll see a lot of what the Niners do when they bring Trey Lanson for those types of packages. I'm going to buy it as well. I don't know if he'll get the touchdowns. I think the Chiefs will still win the game, but I do think Love gets the yards. Jack Eichel, if he's healthy, will have 60-plus points with Vegas next uh, season. Next season, I would buy that. This season, no way in hell he's coming well, yeah, back he's in March. Coming so. back later, yes, so yeah. I buy that. I think he's one of the best centers in the league. He's a talented player. I think the disc replacement is only going to make him a better player, being that he's 24 years old. So I am going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. The talent around him, assuming they can keep everybody, is very strong. I think 60 is, even if he has minor injuries, is not going to be a big issue. And I think he's going to get a second win with that Vegas team. I really don't see the division really growing any better either. There's a lot of rebuilding teams in it, so not a lot of competition. So I will buy it as well. Ben Simmons will ultimately end up being released by the Sixers. I'm buying it seven times over. If they haven't released him yet, they are going to release him. He's got mental problems. There's a lot of problems right now with Ben Simmons. I don't think Doc Rivers wants him on the team. I think he's a cancer. So I'm buying it six times. Do whatever the hell you want, but he's gone. First disagreement. I will sell it only because they're playing well right now. I think they'll hang on to the money for now. They don't really have to make an egregious move and rush to trade him, where I think eventually if there's another player that gets hurt or an overperforming team that thinks they could take that kind of money on a young team that maybe is playing well, I think they'll end up getting him and they'll trade him not for the package that the Sixers won initially, but later in the season we'll end up actually still end up trading him. So I will sell it. 
Buy or sell. Both A.J. Brown and Cooper Couple have 100-plus receiving yards. I'm going to sell it. I think one of them will. It all depends on where A.J. Brown is. I think he can outrun and outbeat Jalen Ramsey. I think he's one of the more prolific wide receivers in the league. But I don't know if Jalen Ramsey's even going to take him. He might take Julio Jones. So whoever's hotter early in the game. And Cooper Cup, I expect him to be close to 100. So I'm going to sell that. I don't think both of them will. I'm going to buy it. I think A.J. Brown, because Jalen Ramsey plays a lot of zone, I don't know if he'll be shadowing him the whole game. I also think the Rams are going to get out to where they're going to be able to throw the ball a lot more often, where I think the Titans will be trying to win shootouts with them, I think, later in the game. I think the Titans will play well in the first half as well, with A.J. Brown kind of maneuvering them around. I think the coaching will end up making a difference in that one, so I will buy it. Buy or sell, Alabama will cover the minus 28.5 point spread this week at home against LSU. I'm going to buy it. I think they will cover it. Alabama, I expect to win this game. LSU is not a good team right now in the nation. I think they're going to dominate this game. LSU does have a real top-end corner playing in this game who a lot of people believe will be a top-five pick. But all in all, this is not a good team, and this team is not a contender. Obviously, we know that. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I don't know about 28. That's a pretty big spread. I think 20. I can see 20. I can see 17. I don't know about 28. uh, LSU still has enough offensive talent that they've been able to stay close with certain teams. And Alabama's defense has had some leaks as well. They haven't been what they were supposed to be at the beginning of the season. The passing game for Alabama will be strong against, besides Stingley, the rest of the LSU defense, which has been down south. But 28, I think, is a lot. I think the Alabama wins. I think they'll dominate, but not 28. I will sell that. All right, buy or sell. R.J. Barrett will have 20-plus points for at least each of the next three games. I'm going to sell that. Uh, R.J. Barrett, it, it's like fluctuates to 17 to 20 points. I think he's a two-way player. He's slowly but surely becoming that two-way player. So, no, I'm going to sell that. I do not believe he's going to average 20 points in the next three games. Yeah, I'll sell it, too. He might get two out of three. I don't know about every game. I think he'll be due for one game where he shoots a little inefficiently from three and maybe the hindrance of the missed free throws as well. I think he'll eventually get to him. So, one game he has maybe 16, 15 points. I will sell it as well. Buy or sell. Both Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb will rush for 100. Yards. I'm going to buy that. I think both guys are going to dominate this week. Both guys can run the ball. I have one of them on my fantasy team. I expect him to run over 100 yards. Mr. Mixon, let's go. I'm going to buy it. The other one is stashed on my terrible fantasy team. I'm going to sell it, though, because I think both these run defenses have been good. I think Mixon will. I don't know about Chubb. I think Baker Mayfield really wants to make a statement that he doesn't need Odell. I think it'll be more of a passing game for them. Nick Chubb, he's healthy, but he's still working his way back, where I think it'll take a little while for him to get back into the full form. So I am actually going to sell that. I think Mixon will. I think Chubb won't. Buy or sell. The Panthers will not win the division now without Joel Quenville even being undefeated right now. I'm going to sell that. I still think they can win the division. I think they're the best team in that division. The way they're playing, they have so much depth. Their goaltending is good. Their offense is good. Their defense is okay. I think they have a variety of draft picks that they can trade if they want to bring in a veteran. So I am going to buy it. I'm going to buy it too. I think they'll still hang on. Tampa's not as strong this year. They've been a little streaky. The Bruins will get going again too, but they've had a little bit of a slow start. Patrice Bergeron had his first goal at like Brock Nelson had a four-goal game yesterday, but those were his first four of the season. Uh, Brock Nelson had two. No, no, no. Patrice Bergeron oh, had his first four goals. Brock, Brock has six goals. Yeah, he has six goals. In eight year, games. Right? Uh-huh. It's just weird. Two two four-goal games in the same day. Maybe I'll do that as a future crunch time. That'd be a funny one. But uh, yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think, the, I think the Panthers look good. They Even defensively, they look good. The goaltending with Spencer Knight and They're Bolt still Sergei. a little weak defensively. They're still a little weak. I don't know if they're a cupped team, but I think in terms of winning the division. If they could get a superstar or a great defensive player, 
to play on that team, yes, they'll be a contender. Or even just like two solid veterans, I think it could be good. Ekblad and Uyghur are nice, but they, they just don't have a lot beyond that in terms of taking it to the next step and winning in the playoffs. But in terms of winning that division, I will buy it. All right, buy or sell. I mentioned Adam Duvall is back for another year because he has one more year of arbitration, but at least two of the three of the other Braves outfielders will return next season. I will sell that. I don't think both of them are going to be there. Rosario's going to be asking for a lot of money. Soler's going to be asking for a lot of money. Now, if the DH comes into play, it might, it might not. Maybe. I still think both guys are going to be asking for big bucks. I do not believe both of them are going to be back there, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it because of, because of the DH. I think it is going to end up being passed. There's a lot of movement for it. The players want it because... You're going to pay a DH a hundred and some million dollars? They're not that cash-strapped right now, and the, and the Braves... They also don't like to spend the money. See, I think it's a different case, though, where the Braves didn't like to spend the money when they were a borderline team, and they had a lot of money in the, the beginning of this decade invested into the Uptons and Chipper Jones at the end of his career when they were still paying him, the two Upton brothers, and mm-hmm. Frank Core, guys like that, but... BJ Upton. I, I, think, I think this is a different team, the way the Braves are structured right now. I think they'll end up making that work. I think maybe Peterson is the odd man out. And they'll play pay Rosario and Soler, so I am going to buy it. All right, one more. Aaron Rodgers will miss multiple games as a result of COVID. I'm going to sell that. He'll miss one game. He'll be back the week after. He'll figure it out. He's got enough to say about the NFL and the Green Bay Packers. I can't see him sitting out two games. I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it, too. I think Jordan Love will have some flashes that will be showing good, but I don't think it'll be enough to say, gonna all right, we're going to start him over Aaron Rodgers. Plus, I, I think they're going to lose the game, too, where the tiebreaker, if they don't play Aaron Rodgers, they risk Jordan Love for another week. Could be tough against the Rams or the Cardinals where they end up playing. They have the head-to-head on the Cardinals, obviously, from beating them. They haven't played the Rams yet this year. I believe they do so in week 13. Watch, the, they'll beat them. In terms of the tiebreakers, I think that'll be an important going for them to win, especially since they know that the Chiefs might be the hardest I'm telling game. you right now, the Packers are the team to beat they, the NFC. They don't have a lot of these other giveaway games where they could do that. And do not be surprised if Odell Beckham is a Green Bay Packer by the end of the weekend. All right. Just remember I said that. I'm going to sell it. I think Aaron Rodgers will be back next week. I expect Odell Beckham to sign with the Green Bay Packers. I'll be very surprised if he doesn't. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. He'll have a chance to win a Super Bowl, and I think that's what he wants to do. He's 29 years old. Why not go to a team? Why not go to a quarterback that's going to make you that much better and actually is going to give you the ball? He will throw you the ball, especially if you get open. So, And he can see the field just as well as any quarterback. So... I think it makes a lot of sense for him to go there. Why not Green Bay? I expect that to happen. We'll see. Maybe I'll be right. Maybe I'll be wrong. I mean, a lot of people think it's the Saints. Why would he go to the Saints when he doesn't have a chance to win? They're not winning this year. So, anyways, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank Mr. Chris Milholland for joining us from SB Nation for the Nets, writing for the Nets. Nice kid, 23 years old, earned his spot over there with SB Nation. So, shout out to him. Just a great show. We'll be back next week, probably with a new guest, and probably with Speedy wearing his underwear over his head or something else. Not happening. Why not? I'm not wearing underwear on my head. I think you would look on perfect. On camera. Why not? Really? Yeah, I think it would be great on I don't live need, radio on 103.9. I think the, uh, the ownership that, and the director over here at 103.9 would absolutely adore Well, the radio won't be able to see that, luckily. If that weird well, scenario were They want to come into the studio, they can. Well, that'll be a whole other story. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I am not putting my underwear on my head. Well, you could wear it over your head. How's that sound? Not happening. Uh, I think it makes sense. We need to get you a haircut, by the way. You look like a Again, two weeks, close to Thanksgiving, no, no, it will happen. No, no, no. We're going to take you next week. I'm taking you to my barber. I can't stand to look at you right now. So we're, wearing a hat. I don't care. <laughs> you need a haircut. Anyway, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. We will be back next week. So stay tuned and keep listening to the Weekend Crunch every single Saturday as me, Errol Marks, and Speedy Petey will be here entertaining you for the last and next two hours next week. Good night, everybody.